Well, if you'd have that Bible reading open from James chapter 5, verse 13, that would be really helpful. And there's also an outline on the back of the new sheet if you find that of help as well. But let's pray as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your immense love and grace to us that you would make yourself known to us. Lord God, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to open up your word, to be able to be in relationship with you, to be able to pray to you. And so, Heavenly Father, as we open up this passage, we pray that you're giving us insight. We pray that you'll be at work in our hearts, in our minds, transforming us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. In this passage, James has been writing to the churches about how to respond to suffering and to pressure. And last week, he urges us, he urged us to have patience. Uh, patience because the Lord is coming. Jesus is on his way, and that Jesus is full of compassion and mercy, and that he will have the final say. And now he continues in this section regarding facing suffering, and he continues by urging us to prayer. Urging us to prayer and to keeping an eye out for each other. Uh, Prayer, because we can call on our loving Heavenly Father in all circumstances and express our total and utter dependence on Him and ask for help and looking out for each other because the truth of the gospel is far too good to let a brother or sister drift away from. So let's get stuck in. Uh, Verse 13, look with me. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. This is pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Uh, Firstly, if anybody is in trouble, let them pray. Uh, This can mean any type of trouble. Uh, Not the type of trouble as if, you know, you've done something wrong and you're in trouble, Uh, but any sort of general life trouble. Uh, In the context of this passage, James has been talking about injustice and how the rich have been oppressing the poor. Uh, But our situations might be different. They could be in other areas of life, in any situation, anything. So I wonder, when you become faced with troubles in life, what is your initial response? I remember when I was in the program for ordination, I had an interview with the uh, theological college principal and the head of the ordination program. And I was thoroughly convinced when I walked out that I'd made a mess of it. So I went back to my room and I thought of all the better answers. I had such great answers after the fact. I was so worried. So I tried not to, watching Netflix to try and distract, distract myself. I put on a podcast. I even went for a walk. Uh, this kept on going until about 1 a.m when I realized that I hadn't actually prayed about it. Yes, I was that slow. But James says that in the face of trouble, our first response should be turning to God in prayer. Turning and casting all our troubles on the one who loves us so much. On the one who can do something about it. Whatever our situation, we can ask for help, wisdom, 
energy, rest, encouragement, justice, all the above, anything. And God will answer in line with his will. Secondly, if anybody is happy, James says, let them sing songs of praise. Uh, The reality is that sometimes life can be cruisy. Sometimes life can be great. Sometimes we can even be happy in the, midst of joy, in the midst of troubles. And that is such an amazing, great gift of God. But we should always remember that that is a gift. Because when things are going well, we can fall into the trap of thinking that we are self-sufficient. That we don't need God. We can fall into pride and idolization of ourselves because we are just that good... And we can drift away and shut out God because we don't think that we need him. This can happen subtly, but it can surely happen. So what does James say to do? Praise. That is, thank and praise the one who is the giver of all good things. In fact, he has given us the very language in which to do this in the book of Psalms. Because when we give thanks for his gifts and give the praise to God, we realize our total and utter dependence on him for everything, and we also give him the thanks and praise that he is deserving of. And so the greatest antidote to our pride is praise. So then think about the week ahead. Think about your schedule and all the different appointments, all the different lists of kids that you have to do, all the different things. Where will you all be this time tomorrow? I wonder what causes you to smile and, and give thanks for. But what's causing you to have a knot in your stomach? That's causing you trouble. Well, James says that you can bring them before God in both praise and prayer. So pray always, and also pray together. Uh, James goes on to describe a situation in which somebody is bedridden. Uh, They're really unwell, they can't get out of bed, and this is what he says in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, Anointing simply means a leader of the church or a representative of the whole body coming to the bedside of this sick person and placing a bit of oil on the sick person's head. Uh, There's nothing magical about the oil. There's nothing super spiritual about it. It doesn't have any special power to heal. It's not something that we need for salvation. But the process of the person coming and praying and anointing is a really beautiful and, and tender symbol of community, lifting up a brother or a sister in prayer. It's also a real physical, tangible symbol of God's presence by his Holy Spirit with the sick person. But let's not not miss the main point. The person's main task is to pray and then anointing accompanies the prayer. So praying for the ultimate comfort praying for his peace, which passes all understanding. And yes, praying for healing. Because as James says, real faith prays. 
in all circumstances. And also praise boldly, because prayer is effective. Uh, Let's continue from verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So let's get this big claim out on the table. Uh, James seems to be saying here that if we pray in faith, that there will be guaranteed and definite healing. However, if we think about this logically, there would be people with no sicknesses whatsoever, and that means there could be possibly people walking on this earth who have lived for over 2,000 years. Last time I checked, I don't think that's the case. But I also know from personal experience and from the experiences of people here that this interpretation doesn't stack up. James would have known people who hadn't been healed even though they prayed for it. And Paul even prayed for the thorn in his flesh to be removed, but it wasn't. So then what is James saying here? Well, firstly, what is the prayer offered in faith? Well, the answer is in the book itself. Uh, We saw this type of prayer in James chapter 1, where James encourages us to pray single-mindedly. That means solely trusting in God with no double allegiances. Uh, This isn't praying uh, with enough faith as if it's something that we have to muster up. This is simply trusting in God's purposes, plan, timing and will, even if it doesn't exactly match up to ours. Secondly, what does it mean that the prayer will make them well, that the Lord will lift them up? Well, again in James, we've seen that he uses generalizations. So back in chapter 2, verse 5, James put forward that it was the poor who have been chosen to be rich in the faith and inherit the kingdom of God. And we saw back then that generally this has been the case, but specifically, do you have to be poor to be a Christian? No, not at all. So then back in chapter 5, generally... God will heal. But specifically, will he always heal in line with our timing and our will? Well, not always. Because when we pray in faith, we pray recognizing and trusting that God's will may be different than ours. We also pray trusting that God's will is good. Sometimes his will will be to heal the person. God is good. Sometimes his will may not be to heal. God is still good. And yes, the answer no to our prayers for healing can be so incredibly hard. Devastating even. It may leave us confused and potentially even angry with God. And that's okay. He urges us to cry out to him, to cast our troubles on him. But also remember the garden, where through tears and sweats of blood, Jesus pleaded with the Father to take the cup that was was ahead of him away. Away. 
But he still said, yet not my will, but yours be done. Trusting that God's will, even though hard, is the best way. But also, through his death and resurrection, we can have the sure and certain hope of the everlasting healing, where there will be no sickness, no pain, no tears, no death, when he comes again. Sadly, I've heard too many stories of people who have been told that the reason that they haven't been healed is because they haven't had enough faith. Or the reason is that they're not praying hard enough. The heart of this message is that you're just not good enough for God's healing. If you have been on the receiving end of this message is simply not true because the basis of our healing isn't on the strength that we are expected to muster up or the amount of times that we pray but simply because God wills it to be so whether it's through medical treatments miraculous ways or both Nothing happens unless he says so. So then, should we just not pray and leave God to do it all? No. James makes it clear that prayer actually does something. He tells us to pray for healing. He tells us to pray together as brothers and sisters, to be open and honest with each other, to confess sins to each other. It may seem here that James is making a link between sickness and sin. Uh, But in in John chapter 9, Jesus says that we can't link specific sins to sickness, so that can't be right. So then when we do get sick or under trials, we shouldn't be asking ourselves, oh, what sin did I do to make this happen? But instead, call upon God to help us in the midst of sickness and call on others to help us pray. Because when we're under stress or under temptation or under trial, the temptation might be to withdraw. The temptation might be just to go it alone. But James says, don't withdraw, but pray together. Draw near to God together. Rejoice together, mourn together, ask for healing together, confess sins together, and point one another to Jesus. To help illustrate this, James uses the example of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet that you can read about in 1 Kings. And some may think, well, James, that's not fair. Elijah's a pretty amazing prophet. How can you use him as an example? Well, James points out that Elijah was no different to us. He was just a person whom God has saved, just like you and me. So, look at me from second half of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, And the earth produced its crops. 
Uh, When James writes about the prayers of a righteous person, it's not like this person is somehow better than anybody else. No, the righteous person is just someone who has been saved by God's grace like you and me. So therefore, our prayers are powerful and effective. Prayers actually do something because God says so. God dried up the land. God sent refreshing and rejuvenating rain. So as we pray, we don't twist God's arm. But as we pray in line with God's will, we ask him for help. So then we can pray boldly. We can pray confidently. Not confident in our own goodness or in our own strength, but trusting and being confident in God's goodness and in his strength. We can pray big prayers. We can pray little prayers. God wants to hear the desires of our hearts and the longings of our souls because we are in a relationship with him. He is our loving Heavenly Father and as such, He wants us as his children to come to him and speak to him, be open with him, be vulnerable with him. So then, friends, pray anywhere, in all situations for anything. If you're not sure where to start, you could start by praying the Lord's Prayer and then maybe a prayer of thanks prayer of saying sorry and then pray and ask God for the needs of others and for our needs Uh, on the back of the news sheet are a series of prayer points for our church for our mission partners for those who are who are unwell you could use those to fuel your prayers Uh, we can come to God for anything at any time and he welcomes it because he loves us so much and this comes with an amazing peace. Because the things that cause us concern are completely known to the one who has the power and the grace to help us in every kind of need. Uh, When people post on social media that they are praying for someone, uh, you only have to count to five before someone posts a comment mocking them because they see that prayer is weak. And yes, on the outside, prayer may look weak. But prayer is so powerful. It's calling on the one who cares for us and who is infinitely powerful to help us. The early church father, John Chrysostom, wrote these words, that there is in prayer an all-sufficient armour, a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. So let us not neglect this amazing gift of a thousand blessings. Pray boldly. And as James wraps up his letter, he urges us to not neglect each other, but to look out for each other. Now, usually at the end of letters, uh, you might 
find some kind of greetings for other people, uh, maybe some requests for the writer, some personal warm words. But James doesn't give us any of these things, but finishes with these words. Verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, in terms of wandering away here, James probably isn't talking about wandering away from a set of doctrinal beliefs, although that might be the root of wandering, but more about how a brother or sister is living out their faith. So then if we see someone potentially drifting away, James urges us to look out for them and to contact them, to check in with them and to call them to come back. Because the salvation that we have in Christ is way too precious for us to allow our friends to drift away from. Yes, we need to do this sensitively, but also genuinely. Also, whilst remembering that it's not our role to change people's hearts, only God can do that. But it is our role to do life together as a body. And sometimes we can buy into our individualistic culture, which has sometimes taught us to think, well, somebody else's faith is their own thing. It's their own business. It's too personal, I don't think I should get involved. But the reality is, is that we aren't saved just as individuals, but as a people together, as a body together. So if Emily or Philip, who are my older siblings, saw me doing something which was out of line with the Calder family or not really loving of our family, would they think, oh, well, Michael being a Calder is just his private business. It's got nothing to do with us. It's too personal. It's not really our place to speak to him. No, of course they wouldn't think that. Because we're a family. Of course it's their place to speak to me. Likewise, if we see a dear brother or sister drifting away, maybe their speech is becoming a little unwise. Maybe their attendance is becoming more and more sporadic. Maybe they're drifting away from community. Maybe their actions aren't matching up to their proclamation of being a Christian. Then the most loving thing that we can do is not to judge them, but to check in with them. See how they're going. And point them back to Jesus. It may be difficult, it may be costly but it will be so much better than the, sow, than the seed that was sown being snatched away. But also, I'm not above this. So if you see me doing any of these things, please check in with me. Because someone being turned back to Jesus is someone being brought back to life. But also, what a great encouragement that as we look up and down the rows here in person or look at the names in chat, 
Well, these are our family. Looking out for us. Praying for us. And helping us to see God's grace to us in Jesus. Friends, look out for each other. Because James urges us as a body, as a family, to pray to our Heavenly Father together and to look out for each other. All throughout his letter, he's been urging us to live out our faith in real life. And so the challenge is there. The challenge seems large. The task seems daunting. But the cost of following Jesus is our very lives. But the joy is immense. As we follow the one who has laid down his life for us on the cross. So that we might have forgiveness and freedom from sin and death. To be able to follow him with our whole lives and into eternity. That is until he calls us home. But we aren't left by ourselves. We are saved as a body together. He is with us by his spirit. And as we've seen today, we can call on him in prayer. So let's do that right now. Let's pray. Loving Lord and Heavenly Father, how we thank you so much that you have saved us that you have loved us so much that you would come and die for us and bring us to yourself. So, Heavenly Father, help us to live out our faith in real life. Help us not to neglect the amazing privilege of prayer, the amazing privilege of being known by you, the amazing privilege of being intimate with you, So, Heavenly Father, when we are in trouble, help us to turn to you in prayer. When we are rejoicing, help us to turn to you and give you the praise and the glory. When we are sick, help us to turn to you and ask for the ultimate healing. When we are drifting, Lord, please help us and call us back to yourself that we may live our lives as disciples of you and that others may see you at work in us and come to know and love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.